You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. This week I am joined by Maurizio from the long running Canadian death metal, awesome metal band, Cataclysm. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Maurizio? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Pretty good. I was going to start it out by saying bonjour, because I'm half French-Canadian, so... <laughs> oh, are you? Okay, yeah, cool. I just didn't want you to start spouting off French, because I don't speak it fluently by any means, so, you right. know, I can kind of jumble it <laughs> so, around yeah, my head. I mean, we, we, you know, what's funny with Cataclysm is that uh, three-quarters of the band now lives in the States, Yeah, but we all, we, you know, we're all Canadian, uh, except for the new drummer, James, he's he's actually British and Italian, so it's, but he lives in Los Angeles, we're all over the place, we're the real mutts, you know, mm-hmm. metal right now, the way it looks. I live in Florida. My 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 guitar player is in Texas, and the only one guy is in Canada now, and it's oh. won't leave it. You know, it's Steph's <laughs> player. He's like, I'm staying. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. My family but, is. Uh, my family spent time up there and down here throughout my life. So I've gone. I've gone to and cool. from a lot. Like Montreal or or, or Quebec, Quebec for or, the most part. Uh, not yeah. Montreal. I mean, periodically we'd visit Montreal. Obviously, you have to. It's like yeah, the most yeah, European yeah. city in Canada. But um, yeah, we stayed around Ottawa, Gatineau, and Hull, and that that side oh, of things. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool. And you said them right too, like oh, yeah, <laughs> pronunciation's right. Yeah. Well, I've grown. Cool, cool. Yeah, I've I've grown up with this those words being said spoken to me endlessly for the last decades. You know, so right. um, big year for you guys. You guys have your fifteenth studio album, Goliath, coming out, and it should be out this week as you're listening to this podcast. So make sure you pre-save it, go purchase it, go stream it. But um, mm-hmm. how does it feel to know that you have that large of a body of work? It's like 15 full-length albums with some other things thrown in the mix along the way, but you guys have been crushing it since the early 90s. So, Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, know, you don't realize until you step back and you look at it and you're like, 15 records, holy shit. I mean, that's like an album every two years, kind mm-hmm. of. You know, like mm-hmm. if you look at that perspective, it's uh, it's a lot of work and uh, it's a whole body of work. A lot of bands don't even get there. Yeah. It, the fact that we've been able to do it is kind of crazy. Also, you know, we, we've never been that band that was um, immense, you know, that blew up super big and, uh, you know, could merit that. Like we just, I think, very consistent, hard workers, you know, consider ourselves like blue collar, you know, mm-hmm, metal, death mm-hmm. metal band that needs to work and stay there. And, uh, you know, I think the fact that we were always a little bit under the radar uh, was a huge motivational uh, factor for Cataclysm, you know, because we didn't have maybe the same type of pressures that some other bands had, but we had the pressures of you want to stay relevant, you got to work and stay out there, you know. And so we, we, uh, we were lucky with that, I think. It was kind of a blessing in disguise, you know. Is that something that's kind of always been the bands like operators you know mo is that kind of like you've always felt like the underdog and you have to like grind a little harder than the other people or was that something that you have adopted after a couple years of you know grinding it out um we got noticed very fairly quickly uh the band uh, i believe from what i remember we were formed in 91 end of 91 and in 92 we got a record deal with nuclear blast you know it was like we're not even a year in we were like already signed we had no experience i think that at the beginning we were all eyes on cataclysm type of band we we're so extreme and out, out of this world that it turned a lot of heads around uh we were at some point named the most extreme band on the planet you know uh with the first records we did and uh i think that uh after that there's that movement and that change happens with industry and every everybody uh so then it was more about what do we really want to do 
So we focused on writing songs instead of trying to be the most extreme band in the world. You know, because then the cryptopsies came out, all the you know heavy shit came out, and you everybody's competing for speed, and we wanted to compete on making songs. And yeah. I think that's where the challenge came in for Cataclysm after that. And uh, we were always we always took the position of the underdog, even when we go on stage, and we are headlining. We take the position of an underdog. We, even if we know the crowd's there for us, for example, we'll do a show in Germany and two thousand people crowd. I don't care. We're still gonna play like if it's our last show, you know. Like yeah. we have to prove ourselves, and I think that's kind of encrust, encrusted in cataclysm, and uh, it's been there, uh, and that's I think have been a good factor for us, you know. Yeah, um, I definitely want to kind of like touch what you, with what you just said. You were going for speed, and then you wanted to write, you know, better songs or songs, so to speak, uh, later in your you know early tenure there. Um, you do a great mix of both of those things on some of the new tracks on the new record. Uh, you know, I think what is it? Die as a King starts out pretty intensely fast, but kind of matures into a great, you know, a great song for the uh, for the entire length of it. So, you know, it's when did when you guys were starting out in '91? Like, how many like speed bands were around you in that Montreal area that like kind of pushed you or you know? drove you to want to do like that kind of extreme death metal sound um there wasn't too many there was a few that were more like standard death metal you know mid-paced mm -hmm. uh, cataclysm came you know swinging out of the bat like really heavy and um we had a different lineup at that time where we had a different singer as well i used to play bass yep. i formed a band playing bass and uh the singer we had was very into extreme stuff and he was like we have to be the craziest band on earth you know like that this thing so it was the marriage of all these type of different influences for example i'm into groove stuff you know like i was a big fan of pantera trashy stuff like testament i brought more of that kind of vibe into you know, fear factory machine head like i brought more kind of that vibe into the band and then my bass player was more into demo borgir and some of the black metal mm -hmm. stuff and my guitar player is a maiden fan so it was that combination if you listen to cataclysm you'll hear all of those things right and then this the singer at the time and whoever came into the band always had that big death metal influence on top of it so it was kind of a mix uh of all that stuff and at, when we were young you know like you gotta put yourself in the pit like i'm in my late 40s right now <laughs> when i when i started this i was 15 16 years old yeah and at that time it was all about trying to impress the other guy you know next to you and then practice spot and like <laughs> well look at this guy he thinks he's fast you know like let's do it let's do 25 riffs in this song you know just to beat the other band you know so we we, we come from that innocence right. right and it's that innocence i think that uh, a lot of bands are lacking a little bit now coming out right there's a lot of great bands out there that are doing some new stuff and getting noticed and all that stuff but there's a lot of people that are so desperate to get recognized and liked right away that are kind of copying whatever's working. Mm. We were a, a different breed of band going into like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, let's match it all. Let's let's go out there and create our own thing that's gonna be crazier than everybody. And I think it was that drive that kind of got us noticed, you know, yeah. or else it wouldn't happen. Also being in Canada was a disadvantage at that time. Yeah. Uh, we had to work, that's why, People ask a lot as what's what's wrong with the water in Canada because the bands are so crazy and you know progressive or whatever. It's because we have to work harder to get noticed. You know, we're like with the big neighbors in the United States that eats all the attention, all the bands coming out of New York at that time, Florida. Mm -hmm. We, you know, who's gonna go look at the guy that's in like Quebec City or Montreal? Yeah. You know, it was like so that's why you got the Voivods, you got the Cryptopsy, the Annihilators, everybody, Strapping Young Lad, you know, like all these Devin Townsend, we all come out with original stuff and it's because we had to you know mm -hmm. also and i think that was the pressure at that time so i want to kind of touch base on the early canadian scene too if you if you don't mind because it's uh something that i'm interested in obviously because you know it's part of like my <laughs> heritage too right. but it also seems kind of like you said like you're behind the eight ball up there uh like when you in, again you started the band in the early 90s you're a teenager late 80s early 90s like how are you finding you know bands to kind of shape what you want your band to be like are bands coming to montreal as frequently as they you know as they were back in the 80s uh because metal was you know on a big 
you know, upswing. it's a completely different scene now. Um, you know, there was this attachment back then, then where we had we had a store called Rock and Stock, mm -hmm. and uh, in Montreal that was the mecca where all fans of metal would go buy vinyl and CDs, and that's where all the bands would kind of go on Saturdays or Friday nights to see who's there. You know, mm -hmm. like it'd be like it was almost like it, there was so many rivalries right yeah. and everybody wanted to be a rock star at 16 you know <laughs> but you're playing death metal you know what i mean and nobody could really play their instruments too right so we like it was just funny because you know we'd be going through the vinyls dude that's the dudes in gore guts right there you know yeah. like, like and then dudes from cryptops here across and and then you respect each other but it was one of these things like you go through the vinyl guys possibly like yeah, you know <laughs> competition <laughs> so but still nodding you're... your head you know it was up you know yeah but and then you would feel privileged if the guy that's behind the counter selling the stuff would play your record because you're in the store yeah oh cool you know you made it you know what i mean so it was kind of there was this innocence about it uh that's gone uh and it's everybody's in their homes everybody's online they're going you know finding through the online system other members to maybe play music in their neighborhoods or whatever how they do it i'm not sure or the world uh, yeah i mean people but for us it was like you know high school this band was formed out of high school so we were only like five metalheads and we decided to form a band you know what i mean everybody <laughs> was you know sporting the rap you know the, the ice t-shirts and ice cube shirts yeah. back then whatever it was and we were just like you know with our testament shirts and metallica and like being rebels you know and then yeah. we were the only five in the whole school we formed cataclysm you know it's it's kind of it's kind of like that you know and i i think that that innocence is kind of um organic that's kind of missing a little bit right now because yeah. we got to do it through these different channels that's all hey what's up it's lurk looks like you're enjoying the podcast if you are and you like what we're doing here on the van flip why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to if you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I was gonna ask, gonna ask you like, how could you kind of supplement that innocence? Because you know, it is different. It is different these days than it was 15, 20, 30 years ago. Shows, you know, yeah. it's the, just, the shows have remained. Yeah, yeah. the shows have right. So the shows is the spot now. Like it's the only thing left yeah. where like-minded people are going. That's where the outcasts, you know, society were going into yeah. this metal bar, and we're gonna listen to this music nobody could stand, and we understand <laughs> it, you know. That's that's what it is. Yeah, know? that's pretty true. It's pretty true. <laughs> um, did you, when you transitioned from bass to uh, vocals, um, was that around the same time, or wh when is that in the timeline of like switching from like this, uh, you know, speed metal like straight to your face kind of band to where you're like concentrating more on like how the songs presented like is it is it some time uh, around that or is it before or after yeah so i've always been hands-on with cataclysm from day one i was always uh you know i also was the guy that spoke english everybody <laughs> was very french so like i was the only one that had uh, outside world communication oh, yeah good <laughs> so, so so that was you know I, i'm italian origin and in my household they, they you know you got to speak all the languages to make it you know yeah. we had that thing you know so i i learned English through Sesame Street from what I remember. Nice. <laughs> so, was, so that was when I was a kid. Um, but um, you know, it was it was uh, the the writing process and the music all came natural to us at that time. Like I said, it was a very organic type of feeling, and um, you know, the, the competitiveness is what kept us going and, and getting better and getting noticed. You know, I think that was that was the thing that that you know it drove us to to excel as much as we could. You know. Hmm. Even when we did the our first demo, Catac, uh, you know, I remember I had already a business mind. I guess I, I we printed eight one thousand demos, 
Wow. Right? Wow. It was two sets, 1,000. And everybody's like, dude, just do 200. You yeah. know? But I was like, no, we're going to sell 200 and keep get our money back. But we're going to take the other 800 and we're going to send it everywhere around the world. That's what I did. I sent it all over Europe and then everybody was concentrating who's going to dominate Montreal. And I was like, I'm not going to play this game. I'm just going to send it everywhere. Yeah. So I did that, and then you know, radio stations. We used to do like these, um, uh, how do you call pay, like pen pals, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. exchanges and like trade stuff. You know, I'll give you my demo from a band in France, and he'll send me his, and we started communicating and building these like lines across the ocean. You know, and which I thought was awesome that somebody in France knows my band now. Yeah, that just one person. I, I made it. You know, in my head. Yeah. <laughs> So as a 16-year-old or 15, and then eventually it got to record labels. And uh, that's when Nuclear Blast discovered Cataclysm. It was, it ended up in a pile of shit, you know, basically like big basket full of tapes. (laughs) We were, happened to be on the top, mail order guy over there because the company was, I guess Nuclear Blast, when we got there, they didn't even have an office yet. It was all happening out of Marcus Steiger's, uh, in the owner's uh, basement. Wow, yeah. because the label was so small and and this guy was helping him pack stuff and ship out stuff and then he's like put the, the tape playing in the player while they were working and he's like dude this thing's crazy so he just brought it to marcus and marcus was like holy fuck i'm gonna sign this and that's how it happened yeah it was just tape got sent there ended up on a desk and here we are you know kind of situation yeah, I still remember getting the letter from nuclear blast we want to order 200 demos and we like the band are you guys available? And it was like, okay, you know, this is going to go further than what I expected. Right, right. And you comp, you, you recoup that 200 uh, tape investment. I did, like, yeah, right I then. Just, <laughs> yeah, I sold them all. <laughs> so it was, you know, especially after we got signed, that demo was now becoming, you know, I, I don't even have it. Mm. So I don't, I don't know where it is. So I know it's, if you find it on eBay, it's probably like 60 bucks now or something like that, yeah. or 100 bucks, you know, so it's, 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 it's rare. Yeah. I will but, say, uh, go ahead. Finish. No, but that's how it pretty much uh, the the ignition of the industry over there was like that. You know, was Gorgas was the first one signed to Roadrunner at that time, and they created a huge buzz for all of us because it was showing the world that you can get signed. You know, and it was it was already like okay, it's not only Voivod, which is like was the pioneers right. of Quebec metal. But they were very progressive and different and thrashy and and but we were very extreme. Again, Gorgots got signed. It kind of opened the door to possibility. So that was very important for us. And then from from there came Cryptopsy, mm-hmm, the Spiced mm-hmm. Icon, and all yeah. these other bands. Um, so yeah, that really does a testament to like you know you guys' work ethic and like your mindset because obviously you were signed almost you know immediately after making the band, sending out thousands of demos and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> damn, what I was going to ask you just now, you. Anyway, moving on from that, uh, you so you were with Nuclear Blast, and you've been with Nuclear Blast for like I would want to say almost a hundred percent of your time that you guys have been putting out records. Am I wrong? Did you put like one uh, album out with someone? one record? One record between contracts where um, there was a, a couple of shifts of office pro- people that that didn't agree with our future or something, and we didn't agree on terms. Mm. So. For one record we went to uh, Universal in Canada and released a record there uh, called Victims of This Fallen World. It was also the first album we did uh, with the new lineup, which was the current lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was in 97, I believe. Uh, but everything else was Nuclear Blast 100%. Like So they released 14 records. Uh, they've released uh, one EP and they've released a bunch of DVDs for us. Yeah. So like they they put a lot of stuff out for the band at least 15 releases minimum um so we are the oldest band signed to the label yeah. not the oldest uh by age but the oldest band that's like the length the tenure. longest your tenure has been there longer than ten years the longest we've been the longest and the most uh consistent from the beginning even more so than meshuga uh because they're not even there now um and hypocrisy would be the closest second to us but we were we were like the d band for all they were kind of the pillar there you know like yeah. of, hey you could be with our same company forever you yeah. know it's kind of thing so um that was uh, for us uh an incredible journey because we outlasted the owner 
So the guy <laughs> I told you, Marcus yeah. Steiger, sold the company a few years ago to a digital company. We still here. He's gone yeah. <laughs> from his company. So, yeah, I think we're going to go on 30 years with these guys. Uh, it's pretty crazy. When we signed with Nuclear Blast, they were barely five years old. Wow. Yeah, so you've been with them and you've kind of helped them grow and you know they've you kind of it's a budding relationship where you're helping each other and whatnot and uh, we showed them we showed the world that that you can have a career with a record label if everything goes well the other band that's like that i would say is cannibal corpse with mm -hmm. metal blade yeah so it's like we're the two bands like we stuck with our record label we're also the two most consistent death metal bands when you really think about it we never took more than two three years without records we've been both bands like this you know obituary is there but obituary did take like a, a little break like five six years yeah so we've been consistent you know like cannibal i think the two bands have been like that yeah, yeah. um i was gonna what i was gonna say earlier about uh fucking your work ethic and sending all that stuff out at the beginning of you know the band um i heard about cataclysm i mean i saw band t-shirts before I heard Cataclysm and this is probably like middle school or high school I was probably like some of my friends or some kids in school had like their older brother's t-shirts or some shit and I just remember seeing the logo for as long as I can remember but I at the time I was also so young I wasn't into heavy music you know right. I, I didn't have like an older brother showing me stuff I was like the only you know I was like the radar for myself so it took right, me a while right, right. to fall down this rabbit hole but um, I remember seeing like you know the imagery and the logo bef way before i ever fell down oh, the cool. rabbit hole so it's crazy uh because you know talking to you now and hearing you about you know 16 year old you just sending out a thousand you know demo tapes that makes <laughs> sense as to why you know you would have gotten signed quickly and why i would have known about you in florida as like a you know a teenager while you're a teenager up in canada you know so it's crazy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's and it's 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 crazy because it's it spread way more than I thought. Like, like we were getting responses all of a sudden from Paraguay. Mm. We're getting response from you know South Africa. Like, it's like th there's a tape that made it all the way there. So it's so it's kind of it was interesting to see that happening, you know. And we we had no email. There was no internet. Yeah. It was for us the internet was the fax machine, yeah. right? You get a fax, it's coming out like you know super slow, and yeah. if you see the nuclear blast logo. I'll tell you a story, like, which is funny. I remember when I was fighting with them, specifically when we were split for that one time, <laughs> and I responded to them something pretty nasty. And then there was the, like, the, I remember the logo popping out, the fax machine coming up like this slowly. And then I start reading, fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like in a slow motion. Yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah. It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. From the owner, yeah. It's like he wrote in a piece of paper by hand because I was like, fuck you guys, you know, okay. you're not going to take care. Because at that point, you always think everybody's ripping you off. And they probably were, you know, in their own corporate way. And same way Spotify is doing it now for whatever. Uh, if you want to go into that, that's another thing. But <laughs> it's the facts thing that I still remember. That was the email where I'll just text you, fuck you. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the guy the was just standing and I was just reading it. Why is he saying fuck you too? You yeah. know, it's like, son of a bitch. Uh, you know, those yeah. those were fun, and like, um, obviously, you probably had a fax machine at your disposal. But for those who are too young to remember or don't remember in general, sometimes you had to go somewhere to fax something, and it would cost like a dollar or something to like send something. So, yeah, it's crazy. We had bought we had bought a fax machine to our manager at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was the thing, you know. And I remember when we fired him because we weren't getting along at some point, you know, and we went to his house and he was here. Here's your fax machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, so it's like, it's just, you get nostalgic in a way, but then you start realizing how fast everything went uh, from that time to now. And the most important thing is that we're still relevant. Mm -hmm. Like we're still out there, you know, drawing people, doing things, uh, selling records. Our Spotify numbers are bigger than ever. It's it's crazy to see that type of evolution. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 interesting. What do you think helps make you continue to be relevant? Do you spend a lot of time with your ear to the ground on like new trends in metal or new bands and stuff, or do you just kind of like you guys stay in your own world, create whatever? I keep you want an eye do? on it. I keep an eye on it. I keep an eye on it because I think it's important to see what kids like now. 
uh, and I understand that thing. We're not going to go into the look department if we don't look. You know, we're going to put skinny jeans on and go in there and try to be. Oh, you should. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Probably though. probably won't even fit. You yeah. know? But but I was just more kind of like you know, okay, what we could do is is modernize our sound, right? Because I think that the the audio uh, of the world is changing, is getting more perfection, it's getting more big, crazy. And uh, so that's one big move we've done in the last, I would say six, seven years, is change our sound. It mm. sounds way more beefier and bigger. Do you, mean like, in, do you mean like in post or in the recording process or like change in your sound as a process, band? Okay. Yeah, in recording process. We're going to seven strings now gotcha. and like okay, just okay, everything. Okay. We changed that dynamic of the band, and that helped us get uh, uh, the younger generation like, "Hey, this sounds like something I like now," right. you know. And the older guys were a little bit like, "Oh, I like your the other tuning, but I do like your music, so I'm sticking on board." So it kind of gave us that extra jump, you know. So I do that, but I the one thing that uh, I learned uh, that's very important in music, and this could go out to any band that's out there now uh, that wanna they're doing this, trying to make it or whatever don't compare yourself to others because it's going to be a losing battle forever there's always going to be somebody that's going to do better and bigger but you can see uh for example as them as an inspiration versus that competitor mm -hmm. you know what i mean so a lot of bands want to outdo everybody and then they start copying those bands because they want to they want to beat them and they think that's the direction i think every time we've done our own thing we haven't thought about that and we just did what we felt we wanted to do and stay true to our music our sound for example but be innocent about it, uh, we've done great records. When yeah. we tried to kind of, hey, you know, we have some momentum, why don't we try this because this is working now, that's when we we, we stagnated or mm. we had issues, you know? So being true to yourself is very important. Be your biggest judge. Is it, yeah. is it hard to be hard on yourself when you do things like that? Like when you try to, um, like you were just saying, like something's getting momentum and you try to go down that trend and it doesn't work for you guys. Like, what is it like? as a band to sit back after everything is said and done and be like, all right, well that fucking didn't work. Right. So, uh, so 50% of bands will quit. Yeah. Or you have a band member leave because he's going to feel like, okay, this sick, this ship's going to sink. You know, <laughs> you, you, you got that right. The, the thing you have to understand is that there is no band in history, including Metallica that's been on an upward uh, uh, thing forever. Yeah. There is, you know, they went with the black record. I think that was their, their peak as far as popularity is concerned, it just remained there, but they never really, you know, I think musically they have gone down. Like mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't like what they've done in the last few records. Some of them are okay. You know, that's my, that's my uh, uh, feeling, but their base is so strong and classic and legendary that they don't really need to. People mm -hmm. are cool with that and they're good, you know? So it depends how you gauge yourself because y y everybody goes down. I remember seeing Slayer, at the Verdun Auditorium in in Quebec, uh, with five thousand people there, and it was it was Slayer Testament playing. It was one of my first shows when I was young, and I was like, eh, like freaking out, you know. <laughs> I'm in the arena, five thousand. But then uh, I would say ten years later, Slayer was playing uh, the Spectrum, which is like one thousand cap. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Metropolis, two thousand cap. It was dramatically lower. And it was when they were in the downtrend, you know, so it's, it's so, but then they came back up. So it's all about the time. There's, there's, there's shifts in music industry, you know, when the grunge right. took over or whatever. So they're, you know, it's all about patience and believing in your music in the end, you know. That's good. It's interesting that you, uh, that you can, yeah. What, what led you guys to like, just not give up then? Cause I mean, you guys, God, I guess, okay, this, let me preface that question with this question. Has cataclysm, and again, you don't have to answer this because this is a probably in depth behind the industry, like an industry question. But do you, uh, has cataclysm always been profitable enough to where like you guys can focus mainly on that? I know you started and you were signed at a very young age, so you know your work history as far as like career path and or like side jobs outside of the band may not be as prevalent. Because again, you guys, you guys have also had a large body of work and a long tenure, so you know have you guys been able to sustain yourselves to where you can just focus on the band completely or do you have to have side gigs or do you just enjoy having something else outside of music so cataclysm for sure uh it took like it, it was about 10 years before we were uh making enough money that for example we could pay like live in an apartment and pay all our bills and separately or together sorry 
everybody could do it separately. Okay, 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 okay. So, so it took about 10 years of that, but 10 years of hard work of stay with your parents. Don't, don't go on. Like we were like, don't move out, dude. Like yeah. some guys were like, yeah, but I have a girlfriend. I said, dude, give it another year <laughs> because you're going to need so much money. You won't be able to sustain, you know? Right. And then some of them left and they were like, dude, the girlfriend's making more money. So we're good. You know? <laughs> so then we, so we had, we had, we had those type of situations that we, we went through. Uh, but cataclysm, I would say when we were in our mid twenties to about our mid thirties, uh was doing really good financially um then life got more expensive you yep. you bought houses you got kids you got all kinds of stuff and some of us decided to do extra things on the side like my my uh my uh, guitar player uh he's a producer so he produces a lot of our records he's produced the despised icon records mm. uh misery index or like a lot of bands so he's a producer he does that when he's home you know uh i'm just a crazy workaholic and I, I you know I started an agency out of California called Continental right now probably one out of three or one two out of three maybe tours you go see are our are, are company nice. um, I have a management company also I threw myself into that because I, I had an early understanding of how things work so I manage a bunch of bands in the metal scene so I had with my company called Hard Impact and we uh, I was just obsessive about working this industry you know yeah. all, all facets also the paranoia you know what they say the paranoid survive <laughs> i have a little bit of the paranoia so i was like i want to do this forever yeah so i built my own agency so i could give myself work all the time too yeah, <laughs> so yeah. i was like i did it here i did it in europe i'm partners also with an agency out of europe called decibel touring that's cannibal corpse on and a, a couple of bands and uh we uh, so, so we're self-sustained in the industry nice. i got a producer i'm an agent like we have all kinds of stuff like that my drummer gives he's a he's a very important drummer james mm -hmm. uh in the industry i mean everybody knew him even before he was into cataclysm he has yeah. his own clinics and all that wow. stuff so we're all music related but we're all self-sustained we don't do anything else as far as like outside music for example and that's you know after the after the first 10 years for the most part it took 10 years to get to that so point. so yeah so so it depends see like <laughs> if we would have stuck with for example those first 10 years were very tough right like that's where you're building and you have to invest but we were very good about how we spend our money like we weren't going over like doing explosions on shows and let's do this big production and then go home with like minus 5 grand or 10 yeah know? yeah yeah we, we were very like let's take care of ourselves first let our music do the work let our music speak for us and just have a good setup on stage and let the people you know do it like pantera did it pretty much i love how they did it they never yeah. had anything spectacular it was just pantera on stage you kick everybody's ass and they were rebels and we wanted to kind of have that type of feeling that's what we do you know lamb of god kind of did the right. same thing or a, a crazy band and as far as aesthetics you know um so that was the tough part what I'm saying is that the 10 years after that, we made enough money to survive, right? Right, right, right. Uh, but then, you know, you want to move out of an apartment, you want a little bit bigger, and that's where we had to take decisions. We could have stayed like that, and a lot of bands do. You know, they're happy just, you know, I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't have to go work a nine-to-five job, and they're happy. But we wanted a little more for ourselves, and I think that's why we expanded that way, you know, because in a way, we're doing death metal. Of course, it's, yeah. It's, you know, there's a limit to it. You know, some exactly. bands say, no, sky's the limit. I know, but there's still a limit, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody's going to get into this. I mean, the sky's the limit maybe at some point, but we got to get that audience, we got to grow that audience a little bit bigger every day, every day, because it is kind of small compared to everything else out there in the yeah, music absolutely. industry. Um, yeah, the I, one of the questions I was thinking of when you were talking about the, your stage show and, like, the cost of touring and stuff like that, do you guys, like, how expensive is it for you guys to tour these days? Do you guys, like... Do you cut back on the live show because of that, or is it something that you're well, willing to spend on? There's certain things you cannot do, right? Like if you cut down, for example, on anything sound related, you're just fucking yourself up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not sure if I'm allowed. I can. You can say cuss. That. Okay, so it, it, it's it's 
it's you're going to put yourself in a place where now your fans are not understanding what you're playing now your fans are not you know you're going to just de like uh, digress they're going to go down you know you're not going to you're not going to uh, grow from something like that so there's areas you cannot cut no matter what that it's almost better not to play than to cut those areas and i i as a manager it's the same for my bands every time they want to cut something you're not cutting this and you're not cutting this yeah. right i'll cut some of my commission first <laughs> I don't want you to do that because that's going to hurt you on the long run. You know, we have a long vision type of thing. Same thing with with this. So today, uh, obviously, it's a new game. Um, there's an adjustment period going on right now. The inflation is out of control. Uh, costs are crazy. Like a tour bus, for example, was uh, I would say when I first started it was a thousand a day, yeah. and then it creeped up to about thirteen. Now it's two thousand. Mm. so it's it's that high like i mean it's it's a 70 percent increase like on everything almost and gas is crazy and so you know the the crazy thing now that i feel uh is is promoters starting to take huge cuts of merchandise in europe especially which yeah. would never happen before now they're like yeah but because it's europe there's bureaucracy so it's not like you're going to i don't know fucking you live in florida you said yep <clears throat> where Orlando or? uh, Jacksonville I'm up north you're in north Jacksonville what's that uh, Jack Rabbits over there something like that <laughs> there is a Jack yeah we have Jack Rabbits it's one of our smaller venues anyways yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know it's like if that club you know they'll be like alright give me 10% and somebody will go there and say okay here's 100 bucks and they'll take it and they're happy they just took something you know um, which I never agreed to but it is it is the, the game here Europe is so kind of bureauc bureauc like, you know, bureaucracy yeah, rules yeah. there that it's like we're gonna take twenty percent, but now you have to pay twenty percent tax on top of that because the government's on us. Oh wow! So yeah. now you're forty percent down, and you're like forty, and it's like bands survive on on merch, and yeah. this is it started happening after COVID, a lot, you know. Like you know, I I, I remember going doing a show in Slovenia where we absolutely killed on merch i was like i can't believe we did this in over there and then I'm, i go to collect my money and it's like uh i would say a little more than half was Oof. left Oof. and i was like how is this possible and they were like well the government sends a guy that's gonna to make sure that we collect the 20 percent tax so but you have to pay him 20 percent what do you mean yeah. well for selling the merchandise well what is the government paying this guy like a hundred bucks yeah. to do that <laughs> So, but they want twenty percent for his time, and so I mean it's ridiculous. I yeah. like so they, you know, so basically something that they would pay a hundred, they probably make two grand off. Yeah, yeah, just for that guy, and then the tax on yeah. top. It's like that's something so, that we, yeah. that's something we've definitely been covering in the last couple months. Uh, more of is merch cuts, um, and I guess since you're kind of in that side of things a little bit. Um, could you explain like what a merch cut is not necessarily maybe for like european merch cuts or you know just in general like what like do people have to agree to it because i mean some like most i would assume most everyday casual metal or you know music fan doesn't have a fucking clue as to what a merch cut is or that there is a merch cut um, it's, it's yeah it's important that you say that because obviously they might not what is he talking about so uh, yeah for example if you sell um a thousand dollars worth of merch let's just throw a number right so all my t-shirts that i sold to my fans tonight and cds and whatever this a thousand dollars on that thousand you have the cost which could be easily i don't know 300 bucks worth of costs for the thousand or or 400 you know just throwing numbers yep now there you have a profit margin of about 700 or 600 you know uh on that on that thousand that's coming to you you're covering your costs whatever now, don't forget that there's the person that's selling your merch they also cost yeah, money yeah, everything yeah. right they could be 100 bucks they could be 200 depends on the size of the band so let's say let's figuratively say on a thousand dollars of merchandise my costs with the merchandise are about 500 the band makes 500. the club's going to come in and say because you're playing in my bar and you're selling stuff People are buying less beer and alcohol, which I need to cover expenses of the show, which mm. is your salary, which is the security, whatever. So because of that, we're going to implement a 15% cut on your merch. So on the gross, meaning if you sell a thousand, it's not on your profits. So on a thousand, right. we're going to take 150, right? 
So sometimes merchandisers are really good at, at it and they'll kind of play with the numbers or they'll go to the to the promoter and say, look, you know, we're just touring band, we're struggling. How about you just take a hundred bucks? And they're like, okay, most times I'll just take it, right? What's happening in Europe is that on that thousand, now they're saying, we're gonna take 20%, but then we're gonna charge you 20% tax also. So on that 500 bucks that you have, now you gotta give 40% to them. Yeah. So your profit margin is this big. So it's it's so you know you're left with like you know forty what half of five hundred. You make two you on a thousand dollars. You're making two hundred fifty bucks. Yeah. So is it's, this? It's not. Yeah, and it, um, and again, because I would assume the casual fan has no idea. But are these things uh, because they only see like bands complain about it online or or, or whatnot, and there's no like you know for me even i was like i don't even understand like the context because like there's obviously got to be a reason you know there's got to be a reason there's a there's a cut and then there's got to be a reason where you, the bands are agreeing to the cut at some point you know what i mean so that's kind of where like um is it a damned if you do damned if you don't type thing like you you kind of feel like you guys have to kind of abide by those kind of standards well, it's 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 to the point where it's acceptable that we can survive we're still doing okay not pissing off anybody and everybody gets a little bit and everybody you know we're getting by, which has been the case for most of everybody's career till now. Mm. Now they're, impl they're implementing it, right? And then that's the problem. It's the fact that the costs are so high everywhere. Plus, they're taking big parts of merch because everybody's freaking out. So um, the only way this gets resolved is is every all the bands get together. They start pushing back heavily against this. Some bands stop selling merch, stop showing up some of these clubs that yeah. are doing this uh and and but that takes a global effort it's again same thing as normal things in society when you don't agree with it right some people protest some people do whatever this is strength in numbers it's the same idea you know yeah. it's one promoter versus all the bands do you want to compromise or if you just keep saying yes he's just going to keep taking the money you know? right 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 so that's that's where we're kind of in that position right now where we're trying to see uh there's a lot of bands not happy oh yeah Big yeah bands. yeah Oh yeah, for like sure. We we not only like it's not because the, the the ones that are gonna get hit the most are gonna be the smaller bands, mm -hmm. but now the big bands that are doing ten grand, thirty grand a merch a night, they're starting to feel. Hey, wait a minute, there's like seven grand that disappeared here. Yeah, for what? So so this is this is starting to affect the big ones too. Interesting. So uh, it's it, gonna change. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it changes and. Uh, it's good to know it's kind of mostly uh, in Europe, I guess for. The taxes. Are yeah, yeah, the taxes. Sorry. They're not doing the tax here, right? So, you know, they might, you know. True, yeah. So if you're going an arena tour here, now now you're dealing with all that. Okay. You can't even sell yourself. If right, you have arena, to have the, the, the venue sell it or something. The yeah. venue selling and they're charging you a ton, ton of money for that. So yeah. there's, again, it's like, this is where you get into the business mode of like, is it really worth it to go to the arena? Or am I doing two nights at the House of Blues and kind of stay low? interesting and, so it's not it's not a capacity type thing all the time it's uh no. fees and tic tac uh you know taking the money away kind of situation when, when the band gets really rich and now it's the point of you know i just got to show status i'm going to do an arena tour yeah and maybe then if i do the right deals i'm able to get the merch to the where it needs because my management or my people are strong enough to kind of strong arm some stuff then you might get those bands in there but again that's all elitist type of right 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 things. huge huge level only like 0.0 percent of death metals in that in that in that level if 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 any it's um, it's maximum uh, i've always said it for the last 20 years you made it in death metal when you're headlining house of blues and selling it out cannibal course for yeah, yeah yeah that's, for sure that's it that's I, it. I agree, like, agree. you do that you made it there's no five thousand capacities unless you're a monomart with a big thematic thing and yeah you're 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 stuck with like you know big bands around you like you know arch enemy like you have five bands and you're going in there and even then you're maybe doing two thousand yeah not gonna go to the but they're drastically know, different a monomarth and cannibal corpse you know what i mean i would be way more impressed if cannibal corpse is selling out the same room as a monomarth is you know what i mean Right, right, right. Yeah. But you know, there's to the flip side of what you just said, just just a little quick uh, uh, note. Now, if you're a very small band and you're drawing maybe 200 packs, like a 150, or you're in that kind of 100 to 200 people a night type of band, right? Now you're going into the smaller clubs where they don't give a fuck about merch percentages yeah. that much. Now you're going to be in the place where it's like, you know, 
Tom has the fucking bar and he's like, Hey man, just, you know, give me 50 bucks or whatever. It's yeah. like, he's, he's drinking at the bar while you're playing. If you're in that environment, you might be a little bit in a safer environment than the middle class, yeah. which is again, always the place where everybody hits. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, I didn't really ever think about, uh, the venue owner, you know, using like, Hey, you guys are <laughs> bringing in, all, bringing in all these people, but they're not spending all the money on alcohol. They're spending some of the money on your merchandise. So therefore I need a little bit of that. I never thought about that particular thing, uh, because the argument you always see online through bands or through people in, in general is like, nobody would be here tonight if our band wasn't playing. So, you know, you wouldn't get anything at all if the band wasn't playing, you know, yada, yada, yada. So it's interesting to think of that. Like, yeah, it's people excuse. are coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good, it's a good thing. So I want to ask you, uh, because, you know, you're a death metal fan. Florida's pretty big for death metal. And you're, you know, you're from Montreal. What brought you outside of the great Florida sunny sunshine and the 100 degree weather all the time? What brought you down to Florida? Well, my wife's originally from here. She's from Orlando. Okay. Um, you know, she's originally from Colombia, but she's uh, she was here like when we met, and then she moved up to Chicago because I was living in Chicago first. So I I moved to the United States twenty years ago. Okay. So I lived in Chicago for seventeen, and I've been three years now in Florida. But her, her family's down here, and we have kids. So when I had the second one, it was kind of like too much for us to handle like Babysitters. all of them yeah. up there. Yeah. So so it was you know we needed my, her mom. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the kid when I go on the road sometimes, and she got stuff to do, so that, it made total sense. And honestly, um, I don't like the cold too much, and I've been around it all my life. This was a very, very big welcome. Yeah. You know, I love the sun. I think every every morning I got up, I get up, I got the sun, and it makes me happy. And I, that's that's something that I that I really, 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 really appreciate uh, coming down here. You know, yeah. and also because we're only locked down three months out of the whole COVID thing. I was. <laughs> Dude, I'll never forget that. <laughs> You're gonna upset everybody <laughs> now. I know, <laughs> but I still remember it when I'm eating a you know sandwich in a in a in a bar, you know, with my wife having a beer and the whole. And I'm talking to my friends. Oh, we can't get out, you know, like all over the world. Yeah. It was the only place. So I was, I find it. I found myself privileged at that time. Yeah, yeah, that. I agree. I agree. And now, I mean, you brought it up, so I, I I've been trying not to talk about COVID stuff, but you brought it up, and uh, I I have a certain view of how things transpire because again you know i lived here and i was doing right. podcasts talking to people all over the world you know europe uh, australia canada and all over the country so it was interesting to see everyone's kind of like you know perspective on it uh but right. if you you know you're in a band you're from canada you spend a lot of time in chicago and these are all like places where the ideologies are di differ right the, for the yeah. community or for, for the area yeah so you've experienced like covid down here and like again just like you said three months i don't even know if it was that long man it, it seemed like right away we were like oh well back to normal which made it seem not as bad down here but again we got crapped on a lot florida got crapped on yeah. for years about that but it yeah. always felt weird when I was talking Sweden to people. Also. Yeah. Sweden also. Yeah. They did the same. <laughs> yeah. But I'd also find like people would get like super worried about COVID and you know, some people should be worried about it, but it was very weird to see in the music world, like people's stances and, you know, I would like to, you know, go back and see if they are still the same, like if their stance is still the same, but you know, oh, they disappeared. All of them. Yeah. They disappeared. All of them. And 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 that's the, that's one thing. And a lot of them were my friends, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I yeah. was like, "Dude, what are you doing?" It and, was a very weird industry I, to be a part of at yes, that time. Yes, and uh, you know, you're telling people what to do, and I, I, especially in metal, like I, you know, look, I'm not on one side or the other of the fence. Right. I, I've always been anti-political guy. I, I don't like politics. To me, that's the same thing, you know, on both sides. But this was really weird because. We are non-conformists in metal. Like we are right. cast society already. We're not supposed to be with whatever narrative is thrown out there. We're supposed to kind of at least question it. Um, you are not allowed to do it. You know, I I, I have a problem with. Uh, I, there's two things that I think are fundamental and important: the freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I think these two things are extremely important to whatever we do. And I I mean, you're not having this conversation without freedom of speech right. at all. 
Okay. There is a limit to certain things. I, I do agree. But at the same time, you don't have to comply to anything you don't like. And it's like somebody had an opinion about, well, maybe it's too early with the vaccine thing. And blah. that's their opinion. The fact that they got censored, I think was wrong. Mm-hmm. I think the, the people losing their jobs over not taking the jab was wrong. Uh, like, so this is obviously my opinion. Um, it was the heavy handed approach I didn't like, yeah. you know. And what did it take for for Canada to stop? It took the truckers oh. to go block the country, and then they were like, "Oh, no more COVID, yeah. gone. It was gone." Like, I'm sorry just, about that. Okay. Sorry you know about what that. I mean? We, we, <laughs> the memo was lost. It was under this paper under my desk, and I totally forgot to read that memo. It's done. It's been done. Sorry. <laughs> now it was very strange, like you know, because a lot a lot of people didn't know what the future held, and I've never said this on this podcast, so. This is probably going right. to be fun, but um, I would see a lot of people, like you were saying, tell people what to do. And part of me was like, I don't understand why they're doing that because it seemed selfish. Because obviously, like everyone wanted to get back to shows, everyone wanted to get back to life, everyone wanted to get back to doing everything. It wasn't just like whatever. But I felt like a lot of people in our industry, you know, their livelihoods are on like live events and touring and, and you know selling merch and doing all these things so i think a lot of them were very motivated to push whatever narrative that they were saying and you know follow this rule get this done and then we'll go back to normal well you know that didn't really pan out like everyone said and a lot of people did things with not all the information given to them at the at an appropriate time so I was really weirded out by that whole thing for that year and a half of where people were just kind of pushing other people to do things. And I always... They were calling people COVID-idiots. Yeah. Or like abusing their power. You know, like abusing their power and fame. Or not fame, but yeah. their, their you know, yeah, yeah. position. And we're not talking about only only death metal. Some no, death no, no. Metal yeah, metal. everybody. But it was weird to we're see it in our industry. about yeah. big bands, right? Yeah. And, and I, I was like, I was like, I was disappointed and sad about it be honest with you uh, i kept it to myself but when i every time i posted a thing it was very neutral because i didn't know the extent of this thing i think that everything that happened around this virus at the beginning was important because nobody knew what the fuck it was yeah so you don't know what it is you know so let's take a step back they had to close for a couple months okay but once we figured out okay it's not too bad there is ways around this we might not everybody's dying that's getting it it's not like one out of two you know like let's Let's take it easy. Let's slowly start to look at alternatives. No, you know, it's like you're losing your job. You're not going over there. You need five jabs, you know, take one job. You're going to be okay. No problem. My, my whole thing is if you give me a polio, like I know we're going a little bit. If you give me a polio shot and I don't get polio because it works. Okay. But I take the shot and then I get it anyways. You can't convince me to take four more or yeah. get lose my job. You know what I mean? It's like so. Where where did logic end? Yeah. You know that that was my Goliath. Is that? Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's the monster the machine that's behind all this, pushing the people down and us standing up against it. Whether it's whatever corporation, whatever it is that's up there doing all this, or your inner demons, because it's sometimes it's in here. Mm-hmm. It's us that's like. Oh, you know, you know, once you got that fear, it's done. Yeah. Like the fear is, is the problem, you yeah. know, like you're afraid of losing this or doing that. Uh, I, I stood with one person, you know, in my family didn't want to take it. Everybody was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like, it was like in Italians, it's like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It, it hit me hard. It hit him hard. But he stood his ground. He was like, hey, it's just not for me, uh, you know. And now that it's over, he's vindicated. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, he's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this, you know, it just looks at you like, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so, so my problem was the the heavy-handed approach. Yeah. You know, and uh, we stood with the truckers in Canada when it happened. We gave us support online, and behind the scenes, mm-hmm. here comes all the promoters in Canada. It's not a good look. Yeah. You oh yeah. 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 You're gonna. You're supporting. Uh, I don't know uh, racism and all Nazis, this stuff. Nazis, all sorts of stuff. What, yeah. That, yeah, I don't know what that has to do with that. And I said there is people planting stuff. There is agendas. I mean, it's not like everybody that's in there, you know, is is you know they want to mandate truck drivers. Yeah, or bringing us the food. Yeah, you know, it's like no man. You know, it's like they're by themselves in a the truck. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's just I didn't like it. I 
this record was born out of that because we were three years in it um and i saw a different perspective being in florida and you know what florida looked sounded to me felt like when i was living here right after 9 11. yeah there was yeah. that the craziness in the country but everybody stuck together and were proud to be in a certain place florida was like that like everybody was proud to be floridian like uh, we were free here yeah you know we're like, getting dogged on like left and right all day from the media correct. but everyone here kind of ganged together and yeah it's good that you say that i also think it's really good that you know you you got to i really wish man because you know we've been dog florida's been dogged on for so damn much about so much, that yeah but i really yeah. wish that they would people could change their perspective on how we live through that it wasn't the same that's why we're that's why we we approached that one topic a little differently because it wasn't yeah. the same as like what the television was saying and, and, and yeah everything. we're saying like look it wasn't as bad as you think it was yeah. like like we were we were we were able to function uh, in a very constructive way we have the best economy in the country because of it and a lot of people were fine and we had less deaths than places where they shut down absolutely everything right, right, right. And, they, and they were brutal on it so you can't say that florida was number one it wasn't it was like four or something yeah and we have a lot of old people here and we, we have a bigger population one. yeah bigger population we should have been Hi one. heightened so, so it, old older population yeah, as well yes yeah. yeah. so 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 i think i think that uh and the funny thing is everybody that criticizes where were they coming on vacation well they they also moved here so you know after a while they were like fuck it i'm coming to vacation here it was fun yeah yeah but a lot of the critics came here on of vacation course, during yeah. COVID. We were open. So, Where else yeah. are you going to fucking go? <laughs> Where are you going to go? So so it's good that I have uh, somebody also sharing the same type of views. I mean, that it was a little bit crazy, the whole thing. Because if you talk about that now to somebody that was against it back then, oh, I don't think it's a good topic to talk about. Now, <laughs> now it's not, right? Yeah. So, so It wasn't you know, then either, think, but, you know, whatever. Like you I said, we're history, on the backside, and some some of us are more vindicated than others. But you know, yeah, you know, I think history is gonna is gonna show the truth. In uh, the future, will show history that happened here uh, as the truth. You yeah. know, of things, and I and I hope that's what it is. But big influence on the record. Good, yeah, yeah. You know, Goliath. And people say, "Oh, what did you call it, Goliath? Are you Goliath?" I said, "No, dude." We're the little guy there trying to fight. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like we've always been in the metal scene. You know? As it so, should, as, as it should be, like the underdogs joining together, like you said. Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, Maurizio, it's been a it's been a great conversation, and I love that we got to put on a little tinfoil hat at, uh, right at the end there. We could take them off just, a little bit just at the end, a little something. Yeah. You know, it's you a know so if, thing, yes. <laughs> if if the fans if the fans or a listener has gone this long, they've got yeah. they've got you know a little what, treat. Though, man, at, at, at the end. Um, it's easy to say everything's a conspiracy, right? For sure. So we have to live through it and figure out the truth by ourselves, I think. And the last song of this album is called The Sacrifice for Truth. So sometimes too, you know, yeah. in order to get it. And you know, it's okay to pull your head out of the the world and not worry about it. Like I do that all the time, you know, because everything could be a conspiracy and if you really go down those holes, it gets weird and wild, and it's as best it's to wild, it's yeah. as best to like worry about what the fuck's going on in my metal world, and maybe like Absolutely. a hobby or two, and just block everything else out because I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, I just do what makes sense to me, as you probably do what makes sense to you. We we off to live together and get you know I, I'm all for happiness and, and and just the right things you know and logic, logic's important. Yep. when that goes on the right left side wrong and then both sides can be really wrong you know i think the middle the middle always has the truth yeah and and if, if people are able to balance themselves i think we're going to be okay but right now we're kind of going yeah we're all so over some people are now, right some people yeah. have to swallow their pride and realize that like hey you know i changed my opinion it's okay to change your mindset it's okay you can do that i do it all the time yeah yeah i, I just posted something about that movie uh sound of freedom and that came out yeah uh, I thought it was an incredible movie to go watch. Uh, so I, I posted, go watch it. And then here comes the guys. Oh, it's a conspiracy theory and, you know, QAnon, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, movie talks about child trafficking. Yeah. I mean, it's a bad thing, right? Do you agree with that? You yeah. told the guys, like, do you agree or is that a conspiracy? Yeah. Because it happens. You know, if people think everything's great and perfect everywhere. No. No. Even if it's just a movie and it's fictional to a certain degree, let's say, the message in the movie is important, you right? Know? Like, yeah. 
protect your children. It's yeah. like, what's the problem? For no, sure. in metal or not, you know, <laughs> it's like we follow whatever. So yeah. we have to come back to those days, man, of being rebels. And we're getting there. We're we're going to do it. Again. I think. I think. Uh, I, I think. You know, the Florida man is permeating the Americas more and more every day. Uh, so hopefully they get a little. They get bit by an alligator somewhere, and they like you know turn into a Florida man, and then they become, you know, a cooler a cooler person. You know, and again, but they can they can get freaked out by all the love bugs when it's season. You oh know? my god! Yeah. yeah oh my god! <laughs> driving your car around. Yeah, driving your car around Florida in the summer springtime is just like. Ugh. Just caked yeah. in guts. Got guts <laughs> all over your car. All right, Maurizio, it's been great. Right, um, give me, uh, if you don't mind sticking around for three seconds afterwards, no, I'll get, get some other things to it for you. But yeah, appreciate your time. Uh, if you've made it this far, Cataclysms, Goliath, 15th studio albums coming out August 11th, which is probably going to be this week. Definitely go ahead and save it, pre save it, pre purchase it, buy it, stream it. Go see him on tour. You guys got some stuff coming up. Uh, we didn't even get into all that, but you got tours lined up and everything like that. So We will be touring, yeah. Cataclysm.com. All the fucking links and shit are in the... Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.